Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. Classic Cassidy perfects Portland the Peloton. Devastating Dennis to dictate title running. Muller Mullard in massive Mahindra skateboard melee. And DS debacle distresses Vern in cheat allegation shambles. All that and more to come in this Portland Epre podcast. Hello, welcome. My name's Andrew Vandenberg. I'm your host. And joining me as always is a formerly correspondent for the race, Sam Smith, and our very special guest, uh, TCS Jaguars, Mitch Evans. Mitch, uh, welcome onto the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So uh, a very interesting weekend for you, starting dead last on the grid, coming through to fourth. But all was not necessarily as it seems in terms of coming from the back to the front in that sort of race. Yeah, it's uh, obviously it was a bit of a disappointing start to the day. Um, obviously, the last thing you, you want to do is is not uh, not qualify. Um, but I guess if there's any race in the season you wanted an issue in qualifying, it was probably this race, just because of the nature of of the um, you know obviously how how you know strategic the races have been recently. But I think this is probably the most aggressive in terms of energy consumption. So. Um, you know, heading into the race, I knew that there was still a good opportunity to maybe get some points. Um, you know, I've done it before in the past, back in like season six in Marrakesh. It kind of reminded me a little bit of those days where, um, yeah, obviously starting from the back and then hopefully, you know, through good strategy and, and good timing, you can, you know, pick your way to the front. Um, but obviously the race in this year is a little bit different to back then. So, yeah, I just had to uh, play it cool from the start and, and then pick my time to try and, you know, make my way to the front. So um, a really difficult race, to be honest, I think for everyone just to manage and to be, you know, right place, right time, um, especially once the race had to go a bit quicker at the end. So um, obviously to come away with a, a fourth is, is fantastic, but I still think I probably, <clears throat> sorry, I could have uh, come away with a bit more if um, literally one or two things just kind of found my way at a certain point of the race. But, uh, you know, before the race, if I knew I was going to be P4, I would have signed up to it 100%. So, uh, you know, damage limitation for us. Just, um, yeah, just a strange weekend in, in general. But, uh, you know, fortunately, coming away with, with 13 points because I got fast slap is, uh, is, is not a disaster. Uh, Sam and I were talking uh, in the green room before we started recording this, and I said it was like NASCAR restrictor plate racing in slow motion, with you all basically in one group uh, jockeying around for position. I and mean, how hard is that? At one point, Sam, what was it? Ten seconds off the the qualifying pace. How how do you sort of? You need, you almost need spotters now, don't you, to tell if you've got someone inside and outside, and and where and where you are in that pack. Yeah, honestly, a spotter would be would be amazing because there's so much going on. You're looking obviously ahead to not you know run into anyone um is obviously you know this is down the straights you know the the, the obviously the slipstream is extremely powerful but also people lifting off early to not uh you know gain positions so if you're a little bit further back 
you know, sometimes the approach speed is is uh, is pretty pretty big. Um, but then also you're looking behind at the exact exactly the same time to make sure you know you're not, you're not going to get run up the back of, or maybe you want to hold position and you don't want to get overtaken. Um, and then obviously at the same time you've got you know the usual you know your, your, your engineer in, the, in, in your ear speaking about strategy energy. You're trying to relay your codes back. So um, yeah, honestly, a spotter would be would be heaven because it's just so much going on. Um, and you can also just get caught up in in you know a collision or front wing and getting taken off um, without doing anything you know too silly. So uh, yeah, I mean for me the, the racing is a bit borderline at the moment. It's it's uh, it's very hard to keep your nose clean, but also be aggressive at the right time. And you can easily get shuffled back within a few corners, and you just you know don't really know why. Um, it just all happens very very quickly, and and you know, a few of these occasions can really make or break your race. So, um, but yeah, getting back to your, getting back to your question, a spotter would be, would be definitely most welcome. Maybe it's something we have to look into. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take credit for that. If I, if I see spotters being posted around the <laughs> yeah. corners in Rome or whatever, um, you must have had a few close shaves. Uh, how, how sketchy was the race for you? Or, or were you able to find a relatively clear way through? I mean, the majority of the race for me, was relatively, quiet i would say especially at the start um i went in with the approach to be quite cautious at the start um and try and make my way to the front sort of mid-race um obviously that was kind of the rough plan but things can can change you to adapt as as you feel it um but yeah once i got sort of into the to, into the meat of it it was just honestly you you just frighten every every corner because you're going to abreast through most corners um and your cars are literally on your gearbox and you're either on the gearbox or someone else as well. So it's just the margin for, you know, for something to go wrong is just so, so small. Um, and yeah, I touched my wing a few times and, you know, wasn't really wanting to, uh, someone's, you know, people hitting you at the back. Um, so you, you know, you're getting damage on, on your floor and diffuser, um, and hopefully nothing kind of terminal or punctures or something. So, yeah, I, yeah. You, to be honest, in every race I've had this year, there's been a few close calls. Um, yeah, even in this race, you know, I, I, I went quite committed down the outside and turn into turn ten, and if literally one person pulled out of the out of their out of their line, you know, I would have been straight in the wall. Um, so yeah, it's just you need a little bit of luck as well, I'd say, in these races to to sort of come away unscathed. But um, yeah, it's just. You just feel like the race could end at any any corner, and that's that's not that's not a nice feeling. Yeah, well, it was a fine performance, second one on the trot because um, Mitch's podium in Jakarta, I think, was one of his best races in Formula E. So, yeah, I mean, hang, not hanging on to the coattails of the of the top three, I think he's doing more than that. I think he's getting results when he's right up against it, which is uh, what marks you out as a protagonist in the championship. So, yeah, another good one. I thought his move on Gunter actually was 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 probably the move of the race. Um, I mean, we had, what, 420 to pick from, right? So <laughs> I think Mitch is, uh, Mitch is one on Gunter on the last lap. If you go back and watch, that was really good. He sort of hangs him out to dry, I think, coming out of that uh, turn two, turn one and two complex. So, yeah, he's just, a, as Mitch says, I think, uh, I think he described it well as a strange race i mean how do you view this kind of racing it's um it's racing not as we know it isn't it yeah, nobody wants to lead uh but at the same time you've still got to 
build a race which Cassidy has been able to do in these these extreme energy saving uh, events and uh, there's just an art to it I think some drivers seem to get it better than others and obviously Mitch is one of those um, but it takes a lot to you, you know you got, you got to get your head around how they how they do these races how they structure them and I think I don't know Mitch is, is it a case of what the information that you're getting from the team is that even more critical now to, to sort of build these races when when it, when you're both coming through but also you've got to kind of judge when people are lifting and coasting and and obviously critical on on energy targets and consumption um yeah i think it's you know i think informally always the communication is, is critical information between us and the team and, and vice versa is 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 just you know what makes you know your race normally and i think this is obviously taking things to the next step I think also because the team can't really react to a lot of the situations because it just happens so quickly. A lot of the, you know, the decision making has been up to us as well, and and in the car, just purely kind of kind of gut instinct or what you think or where you think you need to be in the race at a certain time in terms of track positioning um, compared to compared to others. Um, you know, having a real clear idea of, of a situation around you, which obviously the team has to give you that information in terms of energy deltas, attack modes to others. Um, because obviously with the, with the, the pack being so tight, you know, going for attack mode, you know, gaps opening up become almost impossible. So you have to start to read the situation, um, you know, smarter. Um, but I think a lot of it's more come down to, to the drivers um, using their gut instinct to to position themselves correctly at the right time or around the right person or not being wanting to be overtaken by you know the right or the, the wrong person let's say um but just like anything it's preparation as well um you know these races are extremely com- complex anyway but i think now it's having having even more prep um and just more knowledge in your brain with how the race could potentially pan out that's probably the biggest thing and that comes down to obviously you know the team i think our team has been incredible with with being able to judge these races and giving me that information and then also you know having given me the responsibility when it counts in the race to be able to like make my own calls and they've got that that trust in me to to make the right ones to try and obviously you know progress through and and and, and finish well so um i do think there's some teams and drivers that have you know handle these situations or the, the, this new style of racing better than others um you know i think obviously like you know, obviously nick has been been great at it jake as well um you know jake could have easily had more race wins but he's been he's been there and he's you know obviously had quite a few podiums on the bounce um i feel like i've really adapted well to them so um and i do feel like there's some drivers or teams that just haven't quite got onto it and you can just see it in the style of or the approach in the racing when you're out on track. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's probably not, if I could pick, it's definitely not the way I'd want to race. Cause I think it's not, um, yeah, it's maybe a little bit too, too extreme. Um, you know, we, 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 we do grow up wanting to lead races and, and, you know, lead from start to finish and make the races boring. That's, that's normally how I like to do it. And this is a complete, completely the opposite, but it's the way it is. And we have to, we have to adapt, and I think one big one big thing in Formula e is you, you have to be adaptable to all situations because every track is a little bit different on energy. And this year you've got that plus 
you know, this new style of racing where track position at key times of the race, you know, makes or breaks your race. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's something else. But um, I think the one in Portland, I mean, just look at the stats in, in the passing, as you mentioned, like 420-odd. That's just, that's just absolutely mental. Um, and probably a little bit, for me, a little bit too extreme. Is there anything that can be done, though? There's no, with the way that the, the race, the rules are sort of written at the moment, it's difficult to see how it could be anything other than the way it is right now. Yeah, um, it's a little bit track dependent as well in terms of how extreme it's going to be. Um, but I think what it comes down to is that the car has probably got, you know, too much drag um, or it's, it's draggier than anticipated um, compared to Gen 2. So that's definitely making this a lot worse. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really know what they can do apart from maybe give us a little bit more energy to play with because then it won't, you know, there'll be some, you know, that the racing will be relatively similar, but maybe not as extreme. Um, so, yeah, but I think I think there's no quick fix for this at the moment um, unless we can make the cars, you know, a little bit more efficient um, through the air. And, and uh, yeah, that, that's probably the, 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 the most effective solution, but obviously that's not a – overnight fix um maybe you know once um you know down the track if, if they bring a you know bodywork update or something like that then maybe you know some of those issues can be fixed and and we can have more sort of gen 2 star racing which i think was a really good balance between you know strategy and and, and raw pace right at the moment it's just more down to strategy and and the pace that you kind of produce is, is not as critical as what we've seen in the past the other thing to mention and, and throw into that mix is the the fact that the attack mode now is com- completely ineffectual. Um, you know, we, we're not seeing what the attack mode was designed to do. Um, it's now really just a joker uh, situation. I mean, did you agree with that, Mitch? Because that's what it looks like from the outside, really, in Gen 3. Yeah, totally. And I, th- I think the reason for that is, um, you know, with, with our new tyres, you know, they're a little bit harder than what we were expecting. Um, and we've got a lot more power and we, we don't have any, you know, assistance on, on traction at all. So, you know, the combination of those both is just, uh, we're so traction limited on 300 kilowatts. So when, when, when you go to 350, you know, in the race when the tires are a little bit warmer, you can't utilize the power at all. So, you know, the, the difference between power, even though it is 50 kilowatts, which, which is actually a lot, you know, it's not as sensitive as we saw back in, in Gen Gen 2 when we had like 200 kilowatts or 235 because we weren't traction limited in 235, you know, with, with the previous generation car. So we could really use that extra power. Um, I think the only track that I've seen it quite effective was on the weekend because of the long straights. Um, you're seeing a lot of people overtake on attack. It was a, it was a, it felt like a, more like a Gen 2 race with how effective it was there. And that's just down to the circuit. But once you go to a, a traditional track, it's becoming a lot more tricky to, uh, you know, to, to use that power. So I think if, you know, there's an update in tyre, you'll start to see more of effect between the two power modes and then that attack mode will start to become a bit more effective. Um, you, you said about how uh, track specific it might be. What sort of race are you anticipating for Rome? Um, I'm, I haven't gone through it with the team yet. Um but obviously it won't be as extreme as, as Portland. Um, I think it will be a normal kind of Gen 3 race, you know, with a bit of, a bit of uh, you know, this chaotic 
you know, part of the race from the start, um, but maybe not as, um, you're not as extreme heavy as Berlin or, or as Portland, um, or maybe as, as Monaco, for example. So I hope there's a bit more performance, um, but, you know, you know, a bit more bias towards performance and it should do because there's a lot more corners. Um, you can have more and it's all, sl- all slow speed kind of corners. So it's always very time sensitive. Um, but, you know, the, the car's still got the same amount of drag, et cetera, and we still got the same amount of usable energy. So I think, yeah, there will be a sort of element of this sort of towing and, and sort of position yourself in the right place, but not as extreme as what we've seen. Well, I'm hoping not, not as extreme as uh, as Portland or some other race we've had this year. Um, obviously, we had like a race like Jakarta, which was maybe a little bit, there's not enough overtaking. Um, and it was a little bit too quick. So we need to try and find that balance where, you know, the energy saving is just the right amount so we can, you know, still there's still a lot of strategy involved. The performance is, is, is you know, definitely a, a key part, but also, you know, the race isn't too quick and there's overtaking. So, um, yeah, but at the moment, I, I honestly, I, I've not spoken with a team about Rome just yet. Um, we're just still absorbing Portland and and, and um, all that. And then probably in the next week, we'll be discussing, you know, Rome in more detail. Obviously, it went pretty well for you there last year. Uh, double wins. So, um, of the cars, everything's different. But you must go in there with an element of confidence. There's definitely an element of confidence. But to be honest, I think um, it's it's a bit it's a bit naive to go in with the with the impression that I'm going to obviously obviously a double win would be would be crazy. But just to just the the difference in car and 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 the way that the car is behaving with the new tire it's it's really a it's been a massive reset um i think a good example is probably jakarta you know we went with a very similar mentality that we did last year um expecting x and we didn't get that you know we 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 were really struggling in jakarta even though i did get that podium we just we were off the pace um you know, and, and, you know, obviously we're the same team and same driver combination compared to last year where we, where we won. So, um, obviously when you go back to any venue, it's nice, you, you know, you go back with warm, fuzzy memories, but you know, you got to almost reset it this year. Um, the way that, you know, the, the car behaves, um, you know, especially on the street tracks with, with the front powertrain and, and, and the tire, um, you can't approach it, you know, from a driving technique point of view as you could with Gen 2. And I think the same with, you know, with, uh, with, from the team side. So look, we're, we're still, even though we're kind of deep into the season, we're still learning bits and pieces about the car and, and how to optimize it. But, um, look, I, regardless, I need to go in there with a bit of an aggressive mindset because, you know, I've, I lost a little bit of ground in the championship, even though I did have a, you know, reasonably strong race, but, you know, Nick and, and Jake, you know, extended their lead a bit on me um, in the series. So I need to go in with the, you know, with a, a fighting um, mindset because obviously not many races left to go. And I need to make some good ground in Rome to take to take this thing to London um, on my side. So uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see how the scar performance around, um, around Rome. I think that high speed section out of, you know, up, up to turn seven will be, will be frightening. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be good to get back on a really raw Formula E street track because you know that's what I love. So Sam, are, are we just down to a four-way fight for the championship now? Yeah, I think we said it in the last podcast, didn't we? After Jakarta, that's what it's looking like, and I think 
the Portland race just underlined that. Um, um, three of those four finished in the top four in Portland. So I think the interesting thing going into the next two races is going to be if there's interlopers mixed in now with, with those four, with Verline, Mitch, uh, Nick Cassidy and Jay Dennis, because e- each of their teammates have got a a part to play in this championship now and as we saw with Mitch and Sam um, they, they sort of worked together a bit in the later stages of that race uh, on, on Saturday in Portland Antonio Felix da Costa was ready to help Verline if he got into that top gang but he, he didn't he had a few skirmishes which we'll come on to a bit later and uh, and Buemi was there or thereabouts wasn't he and eventually finished just behind Mitch in in fifth place um, uh, unfortunately Andre Lotter wasn't a, a factor again which has been a bit of a, a storyline for, for him he's had a he's had a poor season so but I still think that that Lotter can certainly um, have a part to play in um, watching Jake's back in the next few races too, so yeah, I don't see I don't see the champion coming from anywhere other than those those four at the front. Um, it's just going to be fascinating, isn't it? See how it how it all pans out because, as Mitch says, that you know you can have all the form in the world at a certain track, but it was an entire rule set away, wasn't it? It was Gen two then, it's Gen three now. It's a whole different parameter of of performance uh, criteria that's going into these races but but you know what are two what two events to finish the season off with i mean rome hands down my favorite circuit and many drivers favorite circuit in the championship a real test of uh of courage really i mean mitch mentioned that rise up through the park to um at the end of the lap there that's just probably the best section of track in in formula e and then london which has got this unique inside and outside um configuration which you know has always been a flat out race i mean it's going to be it it might come down to as well as all the fighting that's going on the track it might well come down to something really dull and boring as how much usable energy the fia gives um mitch and his competitors for, for london it could come down to something as banal as that really so let's see yeah lots lots to look forward to but i you know you would say on their performances throughout the year that those four have certainly been the the best of the bunch um, in this first season of Gen 3. Uh, Before we let you go, Mitch, just some thoughts on the actual Portland track itself. Obviously very different to the sort of tracks formerly normally go to. Sam and I went out to the final corner to watch uh, first practice. It looked like it uh, captured your attention, certainly when the tyres were cold. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's putting it uh, it lightly. yeah, I mean, obviously, we're used to street tracks, right? And and I feel like these cars are really designed for, for for street tracks, which obviously include, you know, obviously very bumpy, um, very um, well. Actually, Portland was relatively low grip, but also street tracks can be, um, but tight, slow corners, you know, in and out very quickly. Where this is the complete opposite. Um, the, the car feels quite unnatural to drive around those those circuits. It's a bit like Valencia um you just feel like it's yeah it's it's not really designed for it and uh feels as i said quite unnatural and um i think the grip level kind of caught everyone out as well it was it was lower grip it was one of the lowest grip circuits that we've had all season which i think was a surprise uh i think we we're expecting it to be relatively high grip with let's say the amount of racing that that they have there um but obviously the top speeds were you know quite quite uh quite high but the long corners, yeah, they were they were tricky to manage. Um, it was it was difficult. I found I found the track relatively ch- challenging. Um, I definitely feel more more comfortable um, with this car 
you know, around this tree track with the walls super close, which sounds a bit backwards, but um, I feel like that's when this car really comes to its own is, is when, it, you know, you're, you know, you're riding the, the bumps and, and the surface changes and the curbs and, you, you know, you're scraping the walls and all that. That's what I love about this having, you know, when I'm in this car. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great experience, um, a good turnout of people as well. But, you know, I, I would love for us to get, you know, a street track um, in, in, in the States at some point soon. I think I think that would be really, really cool. Where that is, I've got no idea. But um, it looks like we're going back to Portland again next year by the looks of the calendar. So, um, which uh, is what it is. Um, it's, good. it's really important for us to be in the States. But I think, you know, we needed to, to, to make sure we get a street track um, in a key city um, in, in North America. That would be, I think that would be fantastic. Go on then, Sam. What's the, the latest on Formula E in the US and the uh, Season 10 calendar? Well, I think Portland's obviously an interim race. Uh, it'll be for two years, of course. I mean, there is a chance that um, the Formula E are talking to the um, Dodgers Stadium in Los Angeles and have been for a number of months to try and get a race there, which would be obviously fantastic for, for the championship to to race around there or within it. I mean, uh, I've talked to people who've said that there's a plan to try and race within the stadium too, sort of in a Seoul-style uh, event, which would be mega. Um, if it comes off, great, but they've got other options, I believe. They're talking to a number of other cities in uh, in the US. So, yeah, and, you know, why not have two races over there? I mean, the, the market's big enough. Um, formerly, we've just announced a, a partnership with CBS Sports, renewing a deal they had, and with the streaming rights, um, with a, a company called Roku, which is a big up and coming uh, broadcaster. So, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the much needed media enhancement of Formula E over in the States. And, and actually, as you said, you know, we spent a bit of time out in the stands um, during the sessions. And what I noticed was that these aren't traditional, these aren't IndyCar or NASCAR fans coming to Portland. These are kind of a combination of families and mates going out for a day out which I think is really, really interesting. And and there was plenty of them there at Portland. So, yes, it's an interim race. We have to be racing in the States with Formula E. It couldn't be a calendar without it. Um, and if it builds a, a, you know, a fan base in Portland for a couple of years, you know, why, why not keep it? Why not have this mix of events? I think going back to the point about whether this extreme type of racing is, is good or bad, you know, there's there's a, there's a cross section of opinions on it, but I think if it's once or twice a season, then it it's fine. I think if it's more than that, it becomes a problem. But having that variety, I think, will be a big part of future Formula E seasons, and and I'm all for that. I think it's I think it's absolutely fine. I think they've got to look at some of the safety elements of it. We had a real close miss with uh, Jean Eric Verne. He had a big grassy excursion on the back straight, and he was within two centimetres of having a real, you know, a really big shunt. Um, Muller had one, which was a legacy of a broken wing, which could easily happen in this, in the jostling pack. So, you know, safety-wise, it's a bit sketchy, but once or twice a year, if it's if it's reasonable, then, you know, I think it's a it's a decent spectacle. Excellent. Right, well, we're going to go and talk about the, uh, the rest of the race. So um, we'll let you go, Mitch. Thank you very much for coming on and all the best of luck for Rome. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. Cool. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. 
Right, well, um, thank you, uh, Mitch, for uh, for that excellent insight. So, Sam, what we haven't done really is mentioned who won the race. So, uh, a, a fantastic win for Envision and, and Nick Cassidy. But how did he do it? Yeah, third win of the season for for Nick Cassidy and Envision. I asked the question before Portland last weekend: Can Envision maintain this poise and not dominance, but this propensity to pull off and execute these great races uh, with with Nick Cassidy, and and they they answered that absolutely categorically. At Portland, they they did it again, and um, they deserve all the kudos because doing that is absolutely. I mean, just so many inputs going into achieving such a race, and they and they completely um, they completely mastered it once more. Um, Cassidy started 10th so the three races he's won he has started 8th, 9th and 10th on the grid so this isn't a, a, a fluky win or just being in the right place at the right time although that is counterintuitively part of it but he has the feel and the backing from his engineering and his in his team to get this done through it's it's not feel, but he knows when to get into position from this relatively lowly position on the grid. And yes, overtaking is easy, but when you get into the top six, you then have to know how to control the race. And he spent a pretty long time in the lead of that race when notionally nobody really wanted to lead it. So and he didn't hemorrhage massive amounts of energy doing it. So he's got he's got a real knack to doing it and it's it's funny because last year i remember listening to his radio comms which was pretty fitful um with his side of the garage and there was some feisty stuff last year he wasn't massively happy with the way that they he and the team communicated together but it's all come together and he's had to cope with an engineer change as well because his his old engineer has gone off to a new role elsewhere in f1 and uh, he's got a new engineering so it's all gelled and he's just got this savvy knack of how to run these races and as he says now i, I caught up with him just after the race and uh, and this is how he detailed winning his third epre of the season how do you do that when it's that when it's that mad? I mean, what's Honest, the... honestly speaking? Like I maybe I've been given some slack, um, some some stick in the past because I'm I'm quite hard on the information I I kind of ask for or yeah. expect, and I think I've managed that a lot better. Like I don't know, our radio comms and communications in general, the last three four weekends have been absolutely mega, especially in these races. And I think it's got to the point now where the information that I'm I'm fed is just absolutely unreal. Like I have such a good overview through from the team on what's going on in the race, and yeah. and then I'm left to let my uh, to make my own decisions. But I'm able to do that well because I know what's going on. Um, so that's credit to them, really. Yeah, and to do it with the sort of not disruption, but of obviously getting a new relationship with an engineer as well. I mean that. That yeah. must make it all the more sweeter because that's a that's a big victory, isn't it, for a new relationship? Yeah, yeah. It's um, to be fair to the team, I mean, um, and even Rob and 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 all the guys, like everyone wants to win, so everyone's doing their best, and and it's a change. So we just go, well, how are we gonna let that disrupt us the, le- the least possible? And it, I think I, I said to you in the past that it'd be unfair to expect to be at the same level, and there's gonna be situations that aren't as good but let's try to be prepared for them and fix them as soon as possible so 
yeah, that's probably been more of an FP1 thing, but the races and quality and, and everything else has been, been spot on. Yeah, great. Well done. Cheers. It's funny, wasn't it? It was, it was a bit of a running joke at the early part of the season, how anonymous Cassidy's runs were being, and then he'd sort of pop up at the end. But actually what he'd done was master the racing nows required for, for this new generation of racing without the rest of us really picking up on it. Yeah, he did. And we, we talked about it in the last podcast, didn't we, about how troubled the, the Jaguar I-Type 6 was before the start of the season. They had, they had a big shunt in testing and they had lots of problems in Mexico and, and they didn't see... It, it seemed like they were going to be sort of midfielders for the first part of the season. Then it all started to come together in Riyadh and then really, from Cassidy's point of view, from, from Hyderabad onwards, and he went on this remarkable run of, of, of podiums and success and, and now he's won three races and he is he's he's right in it now you know I think in terms of the title you know I still think Jake Dennis is the slight favorite um he's having such a strong season yes he's only won one race but you know so did Stoffel van Dorn last year right so I think well I mean let's talk about Dennis that's five podiums in a row now I mean it's just a remarkably consistent performance from him yeah, it is. And, you know, with the exception of Mexico, which seems, well, it feels like about three years ago now, doesn't oh, it? Does it? That, that was no way that was this season. <laughs> it was. <laughs> That's back in January. You know, th- this was his best weekend, I think. I, I, I actually, believe it or not, I missed another qualifying lap because I was chasing the uh, DS Penske madness in the paddock at, at, that, at this stage. But he put in a superb lap. I rewatched it. And, yeah, that lap was special. That was a really good lap by Jay Dennis. And, the, you know, the average. Avalanche Andretti team have have just really galvanised everything they've had uh, they've got and they've obviously got a, a winning package with with the Porsche which is an inspired move from uh, from Roger Griffiths and the gang to to hook up with Porsche for for Gen three or the first part of Gen three at least I'll I'll repeat what I said on the last pod and and again I said it on there as well because he has such an affinity with London XL I think he is the slight ever so slight title favourite he, he won't you know he won't thank me for saying it and neither will the team but I just sense that Jake Dennis if he gets good strong consistent points in Rome um, then he will be a favourite for, for London because of what he's achieved there in the past albeit with a different completely different car but I just he just seems to have this knack at XL and I think that if it's going to be a question I think of how they deal with these probable interlopers so you're going to get we're going to probably have a flat out race at london excel so you're going to have cars that have strong one lap pace like the nissans the the mclaren potentially even neo you know could be really interesting corks in the bottle for the title fight and i i can see something an incident or people just getting stuck uh being a really interesting narrative in this uh, title running so let's watch that one there's going to be a hell of a lot to watch but yeah jake dennis i think he would be a certainly a, a very worthwhile champion after the, the the campaign he's put together this season in contrast to the almost relentless consistency of cassidy and dennis their lines form fluctuates wildly and it was one of those sort of anonymous weekends from him here picking up a small collection of points for for eighth place but you know we had his teammate uh antonio felix da costa 
well, it, it couldn't be rear gunner because the rear line wasn't close enough, but it being front gunner, basically, it, uh, it ended up taking a podium. But this was probably a bit of uh, an opportunity lost for Pascal. I think so, yeah, and he's had a few of these. Um, this one was nothing more than getting involved in a few skirmishes and losing a bit of momentum, a bit of damage on his car. Um, it just didn't happen for him. It looked at one stage as though he was going to come through from that 18th position, but, I mean, you know, another poor qualifying from Verline, but, you know, that really shouldn't have meant that but much. But it didn't mean anything, anyway. did it? No, but I expected a bit more. I expected him to be nibbling. I expected him to be where where Evans was. I mean, that's where he should have been. But he just was never able to get um, get the purchase necessary to to get close to De Costa, who would then have deferred and uh, got among his his rivals. And I think Verline certainly should have been fourth in this race, uh, but it didn't go to plan. The strategy wasn't able to be executed, and he's. Um, he has lost some momentum now. He is um, just looking at the uh, looking at the stats now. Sixteen points behind Jake Dennis. Now that that is entirely easily um, recoverable. Um, but I just think that this kind of fits and starts of if you look at Verline's points gathering, you know, mega first four races and then a dip and then look started to get better at Berlin and then dipped again in Monaco, won at Jakarta and then, you know, sort of bit part points in, in the second Jakarta race in Portland. Um, so it's real, it's a real spiky kind of points gathering season for Verline, but we know he's got the pace. We know he's got the, um, the, the the all-round package to to be a champion this year, but the likelihood is he's going to have to start making these uh, these races where the likes of Evans are getting thirds and fourths, whereas he's getting you know six, seventh, eighths. He's got to really step up and, and maximise the points available to him. I think we've decided now there is a four-horse race, which means we've we've done the uh, the unthinkable and and written off Jean Eric Verne, but. After the the sort of weekend that uh, DS had, um, probably is looking that way now. And also, can you explain what the hell they were up to that got them disqualified from qualifying? Yes, I think I can now. It was, <laughs> okay, uh, good luck. It was an intriguing. It was an intriguing um, storyline. This. So, what we know is that on Saturday morning, just before the free practice two session, an FIA official spotted members of the DS Penske team um, affixing a device to the uh, start of the pit lane. There's a little sort of armco and wall uh, just after the entry to the pit pit lane. Um, and, and this device turned out to be what was described um, by the technical delegate who obviously had to be part of, of this sanction as to be able to, well, was, was an RFID scanning uh, device. Um, but intriguingly, the initial bulletin was then amended. So the first one stated that this was concerning the tyres um, and, and the tyres fitted by scanning the barcodes. So that was the assumption. But then it was changed to been able or have the capacity to be able to collect live data from all cars. Now, if that's that's what I think it is, it's telemetry, and telemetry is prohibited. That was one of the three wraps 
against the regulations that was in this decision. The decision was that they were fined €25,000 and both Vernon Van Dorn, who um, qualified, I think, 6th and um, I think it was six and eleventh in the um, the qualifying, had to start the race from the pit lane. Now, obviously, in this race, that really wasn't much of a sanction at all um, in in many people's books. But going back to what the team now now the team wouldn't comment officially to me, and nor did they release any kind of real statement, which was a, a frustration for many. I mean, that would be unusual for most teams, but maybe not from that one. Well, yeah, let's, let's 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 concentrate on the on actually what we know. I, speaking, well, look, understanding things from um, certain people in the uh, in the paddock. There, there is, and then speaking to John Eric Verne, who was absolutely incandescent with his views that um, this was not something that could collect live data; that it was simply to scan the barcodes on tires, which pretty much all the teams do via hiring photographers anyway. Um, the, the question for me is, why would you take a risk of doing this, knowing that it's a, a possible issue with the FIA? Um, I was told by somebody as well that it, they, they had done something similar in Berlin. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But certainly there were eyewitnesses of a similar device in Berlin. So maybe they thought, well... You know, nobody caught us there, but let's try it here. Um, and it was just scanning the tires. But I, you but why, I, I, what do they gain by knowing what tires the other teams are on? Given that these are incredibly hardware and durable tires that are all the same anyway. It's 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 well, not like it's a multi compound formula. No, no. But every little bit helps. You know, every little bit helps when you when you're racing at this intensity in the World Championship with multi-manufacturers you know every little every little bit does help and what what i what i do know is that ds certainly ds to cheetah always pushed the regulations to the absolute limit and look that that's what they're there for everybody does it in every kind of championship oh i, I remember that whole thing with the seat belts in um in chile that time when yeah they'd, yeah yeah, yeah, they weren't actually I mean, touching the seatbelts, but they were things that were on the seatbelts, so they could do their pit stops extra quick. That's right. Yeah, I mean yeah. every every aspect is certainly with um, with that team. They, they are they have a reputation for pushing things very close to the edge, and it just looks like this time they pushed it a bit too far. Now you know the veracity of the defence that that Jev put to me after the race and speaking to a few people within the team you know I, I i tend to believe that you know this was probably just for that that cause and that they weren't looking at ride heights and springs and they weren't getting live data um with this device uh, but then again on the flip side you speak to a few other teams up and down the pit lane their opinion was that you know they they could have been thrown out of the meeting for for what they thought was rank cheating now that's the words of people who um don't know the absolute facts and what precisely the device was but um did the fia get this right i think i think probably they did unfortunately the sanction for um the sanction for putting the cars into the the pit lane really wasn't a massive sanction i mean jev was up to it's it's a big fine that's That, that's the biggest fine in Formula E history, isn't it? Uh, oh, absolutely it is, yeah. But yeah. in the context of what manufacturers bring and what everyone 
runs on in Formula E. It's it's not you know it's it's, it's pocket change. Yeah. Then again, we've got financial regulation, so it's it's going to hurt everybody, isn't it? Oh, it's going to hurt the team for sure. Um, that that kind of level of fine. I think just going back to to what it what it means for 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 the reputation of the team. I, I think Vern rightly pointed out that um, there was a lot of opinion on this through uh, social media and therefore and and, and 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 what it meant for a lot of the um, the reaction to it was that they were cast as um, as a cheating team now um, I think you've got to really be careful with that sort of insinuation yeah. because the the, the 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 issue really was the FIA amending this document and putting the words to collect live data from all cars that's what ds penske were very upset about and um yeah the i i reached out to the fia for an expansion on it um and was declined but why that was changed um you have to question and an answer to that um, is needed because Ultimately, they are saying effectively within that wording that that DS to Cheetah was um, had a device capable of, of of scanning information on live data using a telemetry device, which is prohibited in the um, in the championship. So, yeah, serious accusation in those few words. But uh, mm. yeah, like, yeah, it's the kind of episode that does happen in Formula E from time to time. Uh, seems to crop yeah. up, but. Um, Everyone loves a bit of controversy. Well, this this was one of those for sure, and um, there was yeah. a lot of. There certainly was a lot of, um, yeah, fraught opinions and some, uh, yeah, some very displeased people on on both sides of the uh, of the divide on this one. Well, talking of uh, displeased people, we saw some really strong pace uh, from the Nissans uh, in qualifying, um, only for the drivers to. Uh, hit one another in the race when a similar thing happened over at Maserati too so both of those teams probably had some quite difficult post-race debriefs I'm imagining I would imagine so yes I think the Nissan one was yeah it was it was just one of those it was the concertina effect Fenestras hit the back of Nato I know that he apologized I mean there was absolutely nothing malicious in it I mean then you know the Nine times out of ten, you know, you don't go and wipe your teammate out, do you? Or, or try and um, try and hit them. So it was just one of those things with Fenestras and Nato. The Gunter won. The cameras missed it, but Max tagged the back of uh, Max Gunter tagged the back of Eduardo Mortara's Maserati and punctured his tire. Uh, yes, it looked like a similar kind of incident to the infamous Degrassi and Mortara one at Monaco last year. I imagine that the team are a bit fed up with that because they had the team, both cars, in a really good position going into the final few laps. But I, I sort of caught Mortara's uh, animated radio to his engineer as the incident um, unfolded. We get a bit of a staggered, bit of a delayed response. So the first thing you do is you go to the, the team radio. And I, all I can say is, thank God I don't understand French because it was fairly uh, fairly tasty, <laughs> certainly, certainly in volume anyway. Um, so yeah, just exactly what Mortara didn't need. He really needed a result. And unfortunately, it was uh, it was his teammate who, I think, inadvertently took him out. So yeah, tough one for the team to take on on, uh, on that incident. But but these are uh, inevitable consequences of this sort of pack racing we got, as was that huge shunt uh, that Muller had in the in the App Cupra, which I think was was caused by him hitting someone in the, in the wing going over the underneath the front of the car. Is that right? But that that's a that was a big old crash. 
It was a big shunt, yeah. I think he dislodged it on the back of Tictum's Neo um, in the opening few laps. And then as he went into the kink, the, the thing, the front wing folded underneath his wheels. I mean, there are probably the two scariest accidents you can have are your rear wing falling off if you're in a high downforce car or, oh, yeah. or this kind of skateboard effect of where it goes under your wheels. You have no braking, you have no steering. Wherever your car is pointing, you are going to go and hit something really hard. Uh, and that's what happened to poor, poor Nico Muller. Um, big shunt, tubs severely damaged it's on its way back to Dallara whether or not it can race again this season they'll find out in the next few days thankfully he was unhurt uh, got out of the car uh, but afterwards he was still a bit shaken by it and uh, and this is how he described that very alarming moment yeah so uh, talk us through it was it some damage on the wing or? yeah I mean okay. there was some contact a few laps before in turn one uh, where I damaged the front wing and uh, yeah it felt like uh, there was still some parts hanging and scrubbing on the wheel. I, I heard it and felt it. And then as I went down the straight a few laps later, looks like a part got loose and I drove over my own, uh, okay. own part of the wing. Front like wheels lifted up and uh, straight skateboard. on. Skateboard. Yeah. Because obviously there's an emergency brake on the car as well, but there was no way of using that. That was not, not the problem at the time. I mean, yeah. I just headed straight on because the front wheels were lifted up in the air yeah. but then after I hit the wall I couldn't stop the car because uh, apparently it went into a sort of safety mode after okay. the impact and that there I had no brakes anymore that's why I kind of crawled back onto the track yeah. and stopped in a pretty dangerous position yeah. and that's what scared me a little bit to be honest so and, and it's such a shame because you know you, you could have got you know Robin was close to, oh, Robin got a point in the end didn't he got 10th I mean yeah. Do you feel as though you could have been close to him and that one? Yeah, yeah, I don't see a reason why not. Uh, I think, uh, you know, in these races, if you position yourself well and then you race smart, uh, you can definitely, you know, get away with a few points. And uh, when there is opportunities like that, uh, you want to you wanna make the most of it. But the, the thing is, in, when, when, all, when it punches up, when nobody wants to lead and you're kind of in the mid-pack and, uh, yeah, uh, suddenly a car in front of you hits another one and pretty much stops uh, it's very hard to kind of avoid contact and uh, that's what happened to me today so uh, yeah unfortunate uh, but what what is more frustrating is the big consequences afterwards you know the car is completely wrecked and uh, lots of work for for the team now to get it ready for all yeah tough luck thanks Nico. thank you and we saw you know a couple of blasts from the past of uh, this foot First generation of uh, Formula E superstars with uh, Sebastian Boemi picking up fifth and uh, Lucas Degrassi getting seventh. Now, that doesn't sound like much of a result for the former champion, but in the way Mahindra's been uh, performing recently, that was actually quite a, a solid result for him now. Yeah, absolutely. Did a really good job. I um, I spoke to his... Um well, we both spoke to his, his former manager, uh, Alexander Jacobi. I think they still work together on, on some things anyway. But um, yeah. Alexander Jacobi said, oh, he's going to get points this weekend. This was back in th- on Thursday, I think, wasn't it? And we sort of looked at each other and went, mm. I have to say we did scoff a little bit. <laughs> Are you sure? But yeah, fair play, uh, Alexander, you uh, you call that one. And yeah, Lucas had a great race, did a really good job. Um, very patient, very um, executed extremely well. Um, we know there's challenges with, with that Mahindra uh, M9 Electro and they've had a really tough season but it was nice to see I, I made a point of seeing Fred Bertrand afterwards and saying 
well done because uh, that's just what's needed. I mean, the the morale in that team has been low naturally, and I think this will uh, it could be a nice little spark to to get a few of these types of races that that they can um, that they can get some more points for this season. I think London is entirely achievable because of the. Uh, flat out nature so if, if they can qualify well um then they'll get there i mean interestingly bertrand even said that the mary was would have been looking good for something in that race as well um he'd made a, a quite a few positions up at the start and then had a, a catastrophic failure and caused the first safety car early on and lucas thought he could have even got a few more points in in that race as well but you know if, if you're finishing if you're finishing seventh in that mahindra you're doing an excellent job all round yeah, that's, that's a, effectively a podium finish. So, uh, sick for Max Gunter, despite driving into his teammate. Eighth, as we mentioned, for Verline. Ninth for Nato's probably a, a, a bit less than Nissan would have expected, given qualifying. And a, a rare point for Robin Freins. So, we probably ought to give a shout-out to him and, and App Cooper for, for nicking that as well. Yeah, did a good job. And it was weird, actually, because I was at the back of the garages straight after the race and saw the saw an apt come back on a low loader and thought, oh, let's have a look at how badly damaged Muller's car is. And it was Robin. Robin was <laughs> Robin had got um, brought back to the pits on a low loader. Um, and the, I think it was um, it was it was an issue he had on the slowdown lap. So he, he actually just got over the over the line in, in that um, apt Mahindra um but some some kind of control incident uh went on and um the energy cut as he just as he crossed the line so uh with Sam Bird's penalty uh for his incident with Gunter uh he was vaulted from 11th to 10th so nice little bonus for Apt and a, and a little bit of consolation after another tough race take us through the the Bird penalty because in a race full of minor uh, brushes and shunts and whatever why was that one pinged and the other ones weren't I, I don't think the cameras caught the whole incident I certainly don't remember seeing it um, Sam's description was one of complete um, surprise and bafflement that, that he did get that five second penalty there were several in that race that that you would have thought would have necessitated a penalty i'm not sure that one was but you know we've, we've talked about stewards um consistency before haven't we and there have been a few this year to, to be fair to them that there, there hasn't been as many as previous seasons where um some rather bizarre decisions have been made i'd have to i think in subsequent days there will be some footage coming out of that incident more detail from the from the driver's eye or the um the, the car camera the, the cameras on the car for that so we'll, we'll have to wait and see really to make it make a proper judgment on that but of course the stewards do get a whole variety of of views from from cctv and different cameras yeah i'd really like to see it. it anyway but yeah, yeah sam i mean you know sam sam tends to be a very um honest and balanced driver so when he when his hackles get up you tend to think there's something in it um but we'll have to see you know gunter was up for an investigation for for another incident but but got away with that one um i i think i think honestly it's it's hard to make a judgment unless you've seen every every conceivable angle of these things and um yeah i think sam may have just got a bit a bit unlucky on that one and you know when when the guy needs a bit of luck 
um, things like this happen, don't they? They all, they only seem to happen to Sam Bird this season, which is is tough for him to take. But you know, he was he was thoroughly dejected after the race, and um, yeah, I mean, well, you know, we'll, maybe, we'll maybe there's a maybe there's another reason for his de- dejection, Sam, and and that's that later than we probably would have expected but the silly season now appears to be in in uh, full flow and obviously uh, rumors concerning his seat at jaguar are probably top of the list would you say yeah I, it's been known for a while that sam uh, was in negotiations with the team for possible extension to his his deal and, and been a big cat driver he's had three seasons of it um the the latest rumor mill is that um there may be two Kiwis in that team next season. Um, it's obviously far from verified, but there are people certainly who believe that, that Nick Cassidy could be joining his uh, fellow Aucklander. Mitch Evans in that team for next season. We'll, we'll have to wait and see to see if that, that's confirmed or not. But I just, you know, you pick up on people's body language a little bit as well. And um, yeah, there, there's certainly something going on there and the feeling my feeling is that there's something is done you know Jaguar know who's going to be in those cars next season and um, my hunch is that it won't be Sam Bird but but let's wait and see you know there was an op there was a possibility of him staying for for another season with a one-year deal I did a piece last week um, speculating really that if if he if that happened that Potentially, they might look at Sasha Fenestras for 2025 uh, if Sam got another year. But I think the more likely scenario is that 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 it'll be Mitch Evans and uh, Nick Cassidy there next season. Which begs the question: which one would be Bruce and which one would be Denny for our all our uh, Boomer listeners there? So uh, let's see. <laughs> um, and does that leave Sam with any options? I mean, this is you know one of the guys along with Degrassi and Bohemi that have been here since the, re- the very beginning. Is, is is there a chance of him staying informally? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so because I think he's still got, got a lot to give. And actually, now he's got more points to prove in some areas, hasn't he? After the the last two seasons have been pretty difficult. Um, I I mean we we presume that there's going to be a seat available at Andretti. Um, I don't think Andre Lotter is going to continue for for another season in Formula E, so Andretti will be looking at plugging somebody in, probably with experience next to next to Jake Dennis. So that's a possibility for him, and a very attractive one as well with the Porsche power. Um, uh, I can't think of many more to be honest. I think we're going to see more drivers staying with teams at this stage. I mean, this is a fluid situation, remember, but my hunch is that teams, some teams will stay with their drivers for next season, where at one stage it looked like there could be multiple moves again. Um, but I would say that Sam's best opportunity would probably be there. Lots of people assuming that he would go back to Envision. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Envision will... They're, they're going to test. Um, they're going to give Jack Aitken a run at Rome, and I would think that their 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 first choice would be trying to re um, sort of reprise this model or this template of what they achieved with Nick Cassidy as a rookie to bring somebody on for the future. And I think the obvious one for that is Jack Aitken. Um, how that might dovetail with a, a potential sports car. Um, program for Jack I'm not sure and that could be a sticking point in uh, in him coming to Formula E um, or there are other drivers that, that could possibly slot in there as well at Envision um, with the presumption being that, that Sebastian Buemi is going to be in there for a second season season, which I think is likely um, but yeah lots of decisions to be made in the uh, in the upcoming weeks 
Good stuff. Uh, anything else on uh, on your news agenda that you that you want to go over? Or uh... well, I think we need to give the Sam's Calendar update jingle another airing, don't we? <laughs> Sam's Calendar update. I thought we'd covered that with the uh, with the with the LA, uh, LA thing potentially, but no, go on then. Where where are we with the calendar? M- well, more stars than the constellation of uh, Sagittarius. <laughs> well, <laughs> there are a few uh, to be decided. So I I spent some time speaking to Alberto Longo, who is the the key uh, the key figure in in the the race making for the championship, and um, yeah, the, the 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 two which I was probing probing him on mostly were the Hyderabad or the presumed Hyderabad and Cape Town dates in February of next year. Um, that I presume, although Alberto wouldn't go there, but I, we presume is to put pressure on both of those venues to to try and get the necessary. Uh, commercial package together to make sure that they have another EPRI uh, in those countries. The, the, there is another TBD, which is the end of May, which is the 25th of May, where there are multiple possibilities. Um, one of them, which has been speculated, is is a potential second EPRI in, in Malaga. But I think uh, the feeling I've got was that actually there may be another Asian race on that date if they can make it happen possibly in Seoul, possibly in Shanghai. So, let's see. I mean, it's, I mean it's they've big... been wanting to go back to China, haven't they? And, and it is the biggest EV market in the world, and it would make complete sense to go to, to Shanghai uh, if if that was a possibility. But, you know, obviously we know from the previous rounds how hard it is putting a race on in, in China, potentially. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that the, there could be an option for the the Formula One track for the permanent track, um, a truncated version of it. Um, I think that is in the offing. That is a possibility. The, the manufacturers are desperate to get back to China. And I think if there's a Grand Prix there next spring, then uh, why not? Why shouldn't Formula E be back in the country after all the uh, all the disruption through the, the pandemic? So I think that there's a chance that there could be a race in uh, an additional race in Asia because it makes sense from a logistics point of view as well because they're going to be in Jakarta a few a few weeks after that. So, um, and the the rest is pretty much as we as we speculated on the the race before the World Council World Motorsport Council meeting um, ten days ago. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's a decent calendar. If those certainly the big thing for me is obviously Tokyo. Um, the, there'll be a big deep dive into how the Tokyo Epre happened on the hyphenrace.com in, in the next few days and then the, the other one is if these races in Cape Town and Hyderabad can be can be uh, nailed on for for the early part of the season well thank you very much for that update Sam um, well I think that brings us to an end of, uh, of this show remember to look at the hyphenrace.com for all the latest breaking news from the series and uh, don't forget to check out our other podcast I believe Bring Back V10s is coming back for its 375th uh, series. I think Sam and I may now well be talking. making uh, appearances on that, uh, reliving the cameos. Oh yeah, reliving the days of our youth when everything was better. Um, Can I just uh, <laughs> I just like to apologise for my croaky voice. Uh, it was after I inhaled one of those pickles at the baseball. Well, you've spoiled uh, my sign off, mate. Night. I was I was going to go. Uh, uh, <laughs> Let's go pickles. <laughs> Let's Very go pickles. If you could do a dolphin impression, uh, we'll call it a day. <laughs> that probably needs expanding upon for most people out there. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I will just leave it hanging. They can work it out. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>